Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. Good morning, church. It's great to be with you this morning. I'm Pastor Randy Lovelace, and I serve here as pastor, and it's great to be gathered with you in person. Welcome to all those who are joining us on the live stream this morning. We're grateful to be gathered together, to sing together, to pray together, to learn together, to celebrate together. And so I want to welcome all of you here, those who are visiting with us. We're glad that you are here and welcome you in the name of Christ. If you're joining us for the first time on the live stream, we want you to know you are welcome here with us. And we turn this morning, uh, for the month of June at least, we are beginning a, a new series called The Christ Revealed. And what we're going to be looking at specifically is the ways in which the letter to the Hebrews which was a sermon then transcribed and written and then spread around and sent around to the churches and is a part of our uh, Second Testament, the New Testament, is perhaps the greatest book in the New Testament to actually tell us what is Jesus doing right now. The letter to the Hebrews highlights, celebrates, and focuses our attention on the ascended Christ, the one who has been revealed in his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. But what is he doing now in his ascension? We've touched on it a little bit in the series on the Trinity, but in these several weeks, we're going to look at some of these different ways in which this is highlighted for us. And I wanna use the words of author Tyler Stanton in his book, Praying, like monks living like fools, as he was introducing the book, he said these words. To the saints, this book is an invitation into the deep end of the pool. Most of us get about knee deep in the Christian life and discover that the water feels just fine and stop right there. We never swim into the depths of the divine intimacy Jesus won for us This book is an invitation to swim. As I read that introduction to Stanton's book, I thought I couldn't think of a better introduction for why we need this book, The Letter to the Hebrews. We're not going to be going through it verse by verse, but we're going to be looking at the different ways in which Jesus, as the ascended Christ, is portrayed for the church. If you are not a believer, I encourage you to lean in and to consider this person that is Jesus. If you are burned out on church, yet you love Jesus, I encourage you to be aware of the ways in which Jesus means to use his church to reflect who he is in the world. This is a place where we can all come and what we're going to do over these several weeks is one. We're gonna be looking at a certain set of verses and only one thought from each of those verses. And then there's gonna be one challenge. So one thought, one challenge through this series of the letter to the Hebrews, The Christ Revealed. 
And this morning we begin in the first chapter of this letter, Hebrews chapter one, verses one to four. What is this one thing I would want us to consider this morning about the ascended Christ? Hear now the word of the Lord. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became a much superior to the angels, and as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Now, Lord, we come to this, your word, and I pray that you would speak the ultimate word Jesus Christ to us in this moment, in this day, and in this age. Give us ears to hear. For those of us who are sleepwalking, may you awaken us. For those who are weary, may you strengthen us. For those who are lonely, May you welcome us. We need Jesus. Now, Holy Spirit, reveal the Christ to us. Help the teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. So this deeper dive that I want us to consider is the ascended Christ the one who has been revealed, the one who is now, according to this text, is seated at the right hand of God the Father. One of the things that becomes very clear in these opening four verses is that Jesus is ultimate, superior, if you will. But he is ultimate, and it begins in these verses what the preacher and the minister and the writer to the Hebrews, these Jewish converts to the Christian faith, who are probably most likely recipients who are living in and around the confines of Rome, this is what he begins to unpack, is Jesus as the ultimate word. And what he would describe over the whole of the book and things that we will unpack over the next several weeks are things that Jesus is better. Jesus is the better high priest. Jesus is the better hope. He is the better covenant. He is the better promise. He is the better sacrifice. He is the better possession. He is the better country. He is the better resurrection. He is the better word. But as we consider these four verses, there's one verse particularly that I want us to pause and think about this morning. Because apparently it is the ultimate thing that the writer and preacher had on his mind and heart. And I believe it is appropriate for us to hear again. 
It is verse two. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Hebrews chapter one, turn it on in your phones, whatever works for you. You can place it back up on the screens if you don't mind. It's a continuation of verse one. And it says, but in these last days, he, that is God, the father, has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So unpacking that thought, that verse, you can leave that on the screen for everyone to see. What he does is he mentions the intent, but then gives what's behind it. The intent is that God is speaking to us through Jesus. And what's important about that, why is he speaking to us through Jesus? He says, because that he appointed Jesus as the heir of all things. All things in heaven and earth belong to this Jesus. Then going further, he says, and through whom he made the universe. So the Father wants his church and wants you who can hear my voice to consider that God the Father is speaking to you in Jesus Christ who has created you who has created everything we can see, who has given everything that we have. And the verses go on to say, he sustains everything by his powerful word. Now what might be lost on us as we read it in English is that what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's using wisdom literature language. That Jesus is the word, meaning he is the wisdom that God is speaking wisdom to you and me through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And he means for us to gain wisdom through Jesus, who is the wisdom of God, who is the exact representation of who God is and who sustains everything by his wisdom. So he's inviting us into wisdom He means to speak to us words of wisdom, but here's the question I want you to consider. In the quietness of your own hearts, in this space, in your brains that might be going in and out of attention, what word is God speaking to you through his son, Jesus, this morning? What comes to your mind? And I encourage you to consider for just a moment your first gut thought, your first response. I have a friend and colleague who recently was visiting with a Jewish atheist uh, client of theirs And uh, in his office, he has a book, and it's basically the idea of questions for God. And uh, when they were finished meeting, he pointed this book out there and said, hey, if you're ever interested, I know you're Jewish, I know you're an atheist, but what do you, just consider it. 
and without hesitation, she said, nope, God hates me. There is something that is very sad about that moment, but also something very hopeful. Here's the sad part. You don't just need to be a Jewish atheist person to believe the lie that God hates you. There are some of you here this morning who are raised on a gospel of performance and shame and you think God is angry at you. Some of you think that God's word to you is do better, be better. For some of you, God is silent. And I want to invite you in to consider that God is speaking to us right now through his son. And as we've learned over previous weeks, by the power of his spirit who is present in this room, and he is speaking to you, what is so sad is that many of you may have been completely deceived about what God actually is saying to you, what he thinks about you. But here's what is incredibly hopeful about that interaction with my friend. An atheist actually believed God is saying something to them. Do you know what that means? That all of us, to some degree, are haunted that God may be very well speaking to us. But we've either been deceived or we're not listening. When we come to church on Sunday morning, friends, we are not performing. We're not showing up to be good people. We're actually wanting to answer the question, Lord, what are you saying to me? And I want you to consider for just a moment that when the writer of Hebrews says these words, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in many ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom all things have been created, that God is extending himself to you. The smells of summer, the glory of warmth on our skin, the beauty of flowers, the sweetness of sweet tea and lemonade. That smell of a summer rainstorm. The laughter with friends when you finally take a holiday. That is all God speaking to us. But even more so, he has a word for us this morning, but here's the question. Are we listening? And I want to suggest for just a moment 
I don't think we are. Here's what I mean. I'm grateful for the work of uh, author, philosopher, professor Jamie Smith, who brings up the challenge to hearing the word that God is speaking to us. Why can't we often hear? Why aren't we listening? It is because Jamie Smith brings to our mind this reality. Many of us are no longer enchanted by the reality and promise of eternity. That there is a God from all eternity who is given to his son, the heir of all things, who through whom all things have been created. We no longer truly believe that we actually exist in a world that has been formed and made by a transcendent, loving God who has extended himself to us through his son. We're no longer enchanted by eternity. So therefore, we are disenchanted. And what makes most sense to us is the immediate. Here's what I mean. The challenge I believe we have such a hard time listening to what God is saying, it is because the noise of everything around us. Whether we realize it or not, every one of us sitting in these seats this morning are being pulled in hundreds of different directions, but we're not even aware of it anymore. It's like we're fish swimming in water, said David Foster Wallace. This idea that we've been swimming in these waters, this noise that's, that's just drowned everything out that's important, and what doesn't exist anymore is eternity. What exists is the immediate. And the biggest purveyors of the immediate are not atheists. It's Amazon and Walmart. Amazon and Walmart will be quite happy if we would be just like envelopes that are constantly being filled up but have no address on them. We're filling ourselves up but we're not thinking about where we're going. This idea that we can have the immediate, and I want to suggest, and I do not mean to say at all that Amazon and Walmart, they're just an example of many. Amazon and Walmart are not anti-eternity. We do not live in an anti-eternity age. It's that we don't need eternity. That's the message. What we need is what we desire. And they are oh so willing and helpful to give it to us with two-day air free of charge. With carts big enough to fit a five-person family. That is so much noise, we no longer recognize it as noise. We just see it as a world of choice. And what begins to drown out the most important voice is that the immediate voice of desire and need. It's not that our desires and needs are automatically bad or evil, but rather the need and desires that we have that are being oh so quickly met by all purveyors of things to sell to us is that we fail to hear the most important message. Let, let me give you an example. We've become so skilled at navigating this world we're not even aware of what's happening to us. 
Let me give you an example of a magazine that I receive as, as a subscriber. Um, they're still doing magazines. Outside Magazine is still doing magazines. I have no idea why, but they are. Uh, and so I was just, as I was preparing for this week, I was just thinking about what was on the magazine. So here's what's on the back for Brooks Shoes. Introducing our first head-to-toe trail collection. The High Point Collection features technical apparel designed for mobility, as if other shoes aren't. Protection, storage, and you can feel prepared on your way to the summit. You see what they just did there? And you can reach peak, run happy faster in the Cantamount 2 engineered to help enhance uphill efficiency to steep services. Great, I'm just hoping to make it to the second floor of my house. But the image that they paint for me are young, beautiful people in the clothes that look rather attractive using language of what I imagine myself to be when I wear their shoes. Oh yeah, I'm gonna get me some Patagonia, Brooks shoes. Oh wait, I gotta wear, I guess Brooks, I gotta wear Brooks now. I gotta wear Brooks and I'm headed to the summit. They've given me a vision in the immediate that takes my eyes off eternity and says, this is living. But then the really gifted marketers go one step further. It doesn't just give you the image of what you want to be. They attach that image of what you want to be with a deeply held sense of what kind of person I want to be. Not just what I want to do, but the kind of person I want to be. On the inside cover of magazines that nobody reads anymore, but apparently Patagonia thinks that people still do. So here's the inside cover. Big image, beautiful ocean, coral, it's really great. And it says this, it is time to ditch growth for growth's sake. Let's make things that last longer and do more with what we already have. Let's find joy in protecting the land and waters that have always nurtured us and revel in their beauty, open spaces, magic. Together, we can support communities in harm's way and save this wondrous, resilient planet of our only home. We're all in. You? What's next is unstoppable. Next is saving our home planet. Now, on many levels, I applaud what Patagonia is doing. I, I respect their core values as a, as a company, but it's not lost on me what they're doing. They're still selling me a product, but it's bound up in this identity of the kind of person I want to be who cares for the earth and the world. But I image that and telescope that to the world by wearing Patagonia, Patagucci, as some would call it. It's some expensive stuff. They better want me to keep buying it because they need to be a company who tells me this message. What they're doing is, in their corporate values, I get it, I respect it, but here's what they get. They get it more than we often get it. What's happening is they're painting for us not eternity, but immediacy. That eternity and value and being and value and person, all the stuff can be found in the now. Here, the joy, the magic, the world. But the message, nonetheless, underneath it is this. 
you can simply buy it. And in buying it, give yourself to this idea. And what's happening very slowly, very carefully, very imperceptibly, using the words of Dr. Timothy Keller, what they're telling us is the gospel of this immediate frame. And it's this, your identity is achieved, not received. You can believe in a creator so long as you're a self-made person. Do you get the irony? Identity is achieved, not received. And so I want you to think about this for a moment. Again, borrowing the words of David Foster Wallace, everything in my own immediate experience supports my deep belief that I am the absolute center of the universe, the realest, most vivid, and important person in existence. Me! And he said to a group of graduates, this means we need to be, we, it means being conscious and aware enough to choose what you pay attention to and choose how you construct meaning from experience. Because if you cannot or will not exercise this kind of choice in adult life, you are totally hosed. He's calling those graduates, and I would say he would call us, were he alive, to think. Think about what is being sold to us. The culture is not anti-eternity, it's that we don't need it. But you can achieve what eternity offers now. And as you reflect on your shopping basket at Amazon or Costco, or if you're fancy, Target, wherever it is, as we reflect on our YouTube playlist, Anyway, I got to tell you, I am a consumer par excellence. Right now, I follow several auto detailers because I'm fascinated by electric pressure washers. <laughs> a consumer am I. So I'm not preaching to you, I am with you. But I want us to be aware, to think, what is all of the consuming? What is all of the buying? What is all the desiring? What is all the eyeball strain that we exist in, in this day and age? What is it really giving us? Is that the ultimate word? is the ultimate word that you don't need eternity. Eternity is now, you can have the magic. Are you in? You know. I want to close with this idea. Jesus' word to you and to me this morning is very different, and it is this. Jesus' word and the fact that God is speaking to us through his son is that our identity is never achieved. It is always received and it can be rested in. 
Achieving is exhausting. Consuming is exhausting. It's pressure washers now. It'll be lawnmowers in August. It is exhausting. And so I want you to be aware that God's grace to us, extending himself through his son, through whom he created all things, and is the heir of all things, is speaking to us a word of grace and invitation. And that invitation is to come to the ultimate word, which is eternal, which cannot be achieved, but can only be received and rested in. And that is the gospel that I need to remember when I walk into the front doors of Walmart or I check into Amazon because I begin by saying, what is going on in my heart? What am I believing? What deceit am I believing about what God is saying to me? Because God's gospel, the word of God through Jesus Christ is coming to us and that gospel does not mean we're innocent because we are not. But the gospel reminds us that we are loved. And it's an invitation to receive the love of God in Jesus Christ. And so I say to you this morning, if you are lonely, Jesus' word to you is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you are caught in the middle of a storm that you cannot control, circumstances in your life that feels like water that's constantly spilling out through your fingers and there's nothing you can do, his word to you this morning is peace, be still. If you are weary and exhausted by the achieving, Jesus' word to you this morning is come to me and you will find rest. But if you are fearful and you believe that God hates you or shames you, his word to you is perfect love casts out all fear. The Father, through perfect love, extended himself to us in the person of Jesus to die for us who are guilty with sin, but to make us whole again, to call us children and to invite us into himself to receive the identity of children who can find rest for our souls. A word that is never exhausted or exhausting. A word that never tires out or runs out or needs gas. It is the eternal word. We're getting ready to hear a song written by Becca Bradley, who plays cello here, if you didn't know that. She wrote this song a couple years ago called I Need Jesus. 
Consider these words as you will hear them in a moment. In this world there is trouble, but you bring peace. I find it on my face, on my knees. In my darkest hours I will call your name. When I am weary and broken, in my weakness I will pray, I need Jesus. I need real love. I don't need another fancy thing. What I need is you. God's ultimate word to you and to me is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I now ask that your word to us would be Jesus. In our exhaustion, in our consuming, in our desiring, Lord, reach us through the noise. Awaken us to your eternal word through whom you are speaking wisdom to us that as we navigate this world, we do as those not trying to separate ourselves from it, but navigating it and knowing that you are with us, that we do not need to consume or achieve to find rest. Rather, we can receive the love of God in Christ and we can find rest for our weary souls. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.